As we enter the final straight of the Australian election campaign, we ask you how much of your information about the issues and the candidates comes from social media. Today's Media Files podcast examines the role of social media in election campaigns, including the spread of fake news and foreign political interference. I am Andrea Carson and my co-host is Andrew Dodd. Joining us is Facebook's policy director, Mayor Garlick, to help us understand the scale of traffic on social media. Welcome, Mia. Hi, guys. In 2019, how much do political parties and their candidates rely on social media sites like Facebook to get their messages out? I think that um, political parties and candidates um, have had, a, in Australia at least, have had a very long history of um, ensuring that they are using social media to augment and to complement their communication strategies and their you know, voter engagement strategies across a wide range of platforms. Um, I think the 2013 election was the first one where we saw um, really active use of the platform and, and then over the, you know, the the, the parliaments, the two um, sessions of parliament that we've had since then, um, we've seen more and more uh, MPs and senators ensuring that they have a Facebook page or an Instagram account, then that they use it regularly. And then obviously, you know, in an election time, that just becomes even more intense. And what sort of posts do they do? Are they more inclined to do video? Does it depend with the party or is it status updates? What sort of uh, posting are we seeing from our politicians and our candidates? So the interesting thing is just how much the platform has changed um, with each election in terms of the functionality that exists. Back at the last election, we didn't even have Instagram stories or Facebook stories, and we're certainly seeing very active use of that, um, which does allow for more frequent posting and you can really go behind the scenes and sort of see the day-to-day. Um, I think that the, they're all very strategic about what they um how they post and what format they use. Um, you know, Instagram is, is certainly um, allows you to share really great imagery, and so we've seen some really strong and evocative images being shared there. But on Facebook, we're frequently seeing politicians go use the Facebook Live tool to you know, augment a press conference or to directly speak to voters about the issues of importance of the day. So there's a great diversity in, in the different um, tools and techniques, and I think it shows that our MPs and senators are very targeted in terms of like the message that they're trying to deliver and then the format that they use to best complement that. Can you think of any examples at the moment of people that are doing it particularly well? <laughs> uh, we try to stay away from uh, giving um, assessments of it, but I mean, I think all sides are using it really actively. Certainly some of the most engaged posts that we're seeing on Instagram, um, certainly, you know, Scott Morrison, for example, this past week, one of the most popular images that most people on Instagram have been engaging with was a photo he posted celebrating the royal birth and discuss, discussing the joys of parenthood. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways when they, um, we're seeing MPs and senators like grab a particular moment and use that to connect with voters. What about those, again, you're not going to tell us, you're not going to name names probably, but I imagine some of them are doing it pretty badly. Some would be locked into old modes of doing it or not across the technology and looking a bit fuddy-duddy in the way they do it. What we see is that um, those MPs and senators who do do it best are when they, um, when it's very sort of integrated into their awareness. Obviously, you know, everyone's busy and often staffers assist with managing social media accounts, but when the leader themselves uh, or the MP or senator is personally sort of invested into identifying you know, what the best message or moment is to capture and share on social, that's when we tend to see people doing it um, really effectively and it just really augments the broader 
strategy of the campaign that they're running. And are there any rules? Like if you're posting on Facebook, is it wrong to just cut and paste and put that on Twitter and then cut and paste and put that on to Instagram? Is it more effective to be messaging specifically to the different audiences that might crop up with those different platforms? Each platform is different in terms of the audience that they have. On Facebook, people uh, are primarily there really to connect with friends and family, but also to share about the issues that they're passionate about. Um, Instagram is really a very visual platform. We talk about Instagram giving you sort of a front row seat and a backstage pass. So often the images that do really well um, are those sort of personal, candid moments. Um, And then I can't speak for Twitter, but I think it's a slightly different platform again. So if you do create content or share authentically for that specific platform, um, we do tend to see that people get better engagement and results um, from that. And Mia, can you give us a sense of what the volume's like? Uh, How does the election campaign change? Do we suddenly start seeing a lot more traffic with political messaging? And, And how big is big? Can we get a sort of figure of how many interactions might be going on in the political sphere? You know, at the end of every year, we look at what the most talked about topics were on Facebook and politics and politicians are often in the top 10 most talked about for each year. But in an election year, we tend to see like a higher number of the topics that are most talked about by Australians being about the election. Obviously, this is something that a lot of people are passionate about. Um, We all know uh, we've either got that friend or family member who loves talking about politics, or maybe we are that person ourselves. Uh, And so we do see that big uh, spike in politically related and election related conversations and that shows itself um, by then being one of the most talked about topics at the end of the year. But it's, it's always hard as well um, to you know really put a specific number on it but certainly the volume um, increases overall. I think that word conversation is a bit problematic though isn't it because we're still all in our own silos you know subject to filter bubbles. I get reminded every now and again that a friend of mine votes in a different way because a party they've liked comes up on my feed but otherwise I don't get much exposure to stuff outside my own sort of interests. So what are you doing to combat that kind of trend? So I think if you look at the research that's been done and I think there was a study by um, the Reuters Institute in the UK that looked at this that um, what social media does enable you to do and I think your example there um, reflected that it does enable you to stay in touch with you know, people throughout your life. Um, and so we talk and, and we see research talking about the sharing of information through weak ties, which are often give us um, exposure to more diverse perspectives. So that, that friend that, you know, you went to school with who possibly does vote differently to you. So we do tend to see that, you know, there is that ability for that sharing with the weak ties. So it really is, you know, people choose what can appear in their newsfeed. Um, they choose who their friends are. They choose what pages and groups to follow and to like. What we um, try to do is um, around the fact-checking tool, if there is an article that has been fact-checked and uh, is still being shared on the platform, we will then show people related articles to that so that they do get exposed to different points of view um, if there are uh, particularly contentious areas. But at its foundation, you know, for Facebook, uh, we are trying to provide people with a service that allows them to connect with the friends and family that they choose to engage with. I have to laugh, though, sometimes when I see who it is that's amongst my friends who've liked a political party, because often I know that that person actually loathes that political party, but they've chosen to like it so that they can follow it. The the word like is really problematic, I think. (laughs) 
I think we did actually roll out the option to follow a page as well just to avoid that situation. So maybe we need to do a better job of letting people know that that tool exists just in case they want a more nuanced representation. (laughs) So if we drill down to this election campaign, what topics have been hot maybe week by week and how does it change between different demographics, say men and women or age groups? So the really interesting thing that stayed consistent um, through the election campaign um, is that women are the most engaged on Facebook about this election. So currently 53% of all election-related conversations on Facebook at the moment about the Australian election are um, by women. And this is actually not something that we have seen in other elections. Typically it's been men that have been the most engaged about politics on our services during elections. The other thing that is different this election from other elections that we've seen consistently through this campaign is that um, the demographic that is most engaged is also skewing younger, so down to 25 um, years of age to 45 years of age of the most engaged age demographic. And again, in previous elections, we've seen a slightly older demographic uh, most engaged. So that's really interesting. We've also seen consistently through the campaign that there have been a lot of um, hashtags shared in relation to climate change. Mm -hmm. So that's been a fairly consistent feature if we've looked at the data. The thing I do need to caveat when always talking about the data is this does not reflect sentiment whatsoever. And so we won't actually know the opinion and sentiment of the voters until polling day. In past campaigns, Facebook's played a role with the Australian Electoral Commission to encourage young people to register to vote. Has that happened this time with the record uh, registrations that the AEC's had with young people getting on board? So we have two tools that we've used consistently in all of the elections that we've also used um, this election. The first is once the election is called and the um, voter rolls open for registration or for changing, we run a newsfeed prompt to remind people that they should enrol to vote. Um, and we ran that again in not partnership, but you know, with close advice from the AEC to ensure all the wording was correct and we were directing people to the right links on the AEC's website. Um, and then on election day, we will have a election day megaphone, which just reminds people that it's election day, where to find polling information and to encourage them to share that they're voting and participating in the election. The new thing that we're doing this election, which we're going to be excited about, is also um, including some of those prompts on Instagram, which is great. And do you find you get good click-through, good follow-up with those prompts? Yes. Yeah, we do, actually. Um, it's, I mean, certainly we built the tools to respond to um, the fact that we saw people so engaged about politics on the platform and we thought, well, how can we be helpful? And so we've, we've rolled these out consistently throughout all of the elections so that uh, we can really just sort of amplify and, and make sure that our service is being useful as people are engaged so much about politics during the course of a campaign. How much fake news is about this campaign and how busy are your fact checkers and are we going to know how much they're fact checking and how much they've dismissed from the site? So if you want to see what's being fact checked, you can go to the fact checkers um, page that's dedicated to Australia. So we launched fact checking just before the election with Agence France Press, so AFP, and they have a website factcheck.afp.com forward slash AFP dash Australia and you can go there and see all of the content that they have fact checked. For us on Facebook, authenticity is tremendously important. So you are not allowed to have a fake account on the platform and we uh, remove all fake accounts of which we become aware. How many have you you removed? 
So we have automated systems um, that block the creation of uh, millions every day. And then since um, since April 2018 to September 2018, we've removed more than 1.5 billion fake accounts. So this is ongoing work. It does, it's not election specific. This is just something that we do all the time um, because the value that people get from Facebook is when people are who they say they are and when you're connecting with your real friends and family and engaging with the groups and pages that you're passionate about. At the beginning of this campaign, we saw a little bit of drama around um, a bit of a fear campaign of Labor introducing a death tax, which Labor denied and I think can probably fall in the category of being fake news. That did get a little bit of spread on Facebook. Was that something that um, caught your attention and that you were working towards what mechanisms can you put in place to deal with that? So I think the, it's important to take a sort of a step back and look at the really big picture here. We have, um, at each election, we've learned from the past election and we have expanded our definition over the past couple of years of what constitutes inauthentic activity on our services. So we now um, talk about coordinated inauthentic behaviour um, and we've made numerous takedowns, um, including in Australia in the lead-up to the election, around that coordinated inauthentic activity. Overall, that tends to be financially motivated um, and it is it tends to be, you know, like a, a large number of accounts and a large number of pages that are seeking to share um, information um, to, to kind of drive people to, you know, click through to ad farms or, you know, to, to do other things to generate revenue for the people who are involved in that. And I think it's really important to differentiate that from, um, you know, a small group of people who are sharing content um, that may not be well informed. So, um, you know, we have um, taken action, um, obviously consistent action around fake accounts, and we've also taken the coordinated inauthentic um, behaviour uh, removals. But then where there's um, a specific uh, post on a page that um, uh, people may have concerns about the the, the um, veracity of, that's where the fact checker can step in um, and um, that's an independent person from Facebook who can then fact check that. So coordinated inauthentic activity sounds a bit like mass misinformation. How much of that is there and has it gone up? Has it spiked? So for us, this is something that we're constantly working on. So there's not any one sort of moment that we can sort of point to for this. Um, you know, we have announced various coordinated inauthentic activity takedowns um, in the lead up to the election. And we anticipate, again, because the majority of these are financially motivated, that there will be ones in future after the election that we will also be taking action on. This is not the kind of activity that we want on our platform. We want to be able to connect people with their friends and family and about the topics that they're passionate about. At the beginning of the campaign, or just before it, um, Facebook did make an announcement that it was banning foreign political ads in the lead-up to this election just during the campaign period. What was the thinking behind that, and was there any specific concern that Australia would be targeted by foreign interference? In the lead-up to the election, you know, we, we've developed now a sort of a suite of tools that we can use to ensure that our services are used uh, in a constructive way to, you know, um, to allow people to participate um, in elections. And so we looked at all of those tools and thought, well, what are, what's the best mix for Australia? So around advertising, you know, prior to the election, we had rolled out the pages and ads transparency tools, um, which then feed into the ad library. So now if you want to see any ads that a particular party is running or a particular campaign is running, you can go and um, have a look at that and either see it on the page or through the ads library. Um, and then uh, we're obviously working with the AEC, so any ads that are running on the 
platform that do not comply with Australian law and do not have appropriate authorisations on them, we are um, taking action against those. And then we uh, have also developed a, a system so that we can... Um, uh, block the um, foreign ads during an election campaign and that's really just designed to ensure that the ads that are running on the platform A, there's transparency on them but they're being run by Australians for Australians. So you can confirm that Russia is not involved in this election? <laughs> I think I'll have to leave that one to the intelligence authorities. <laughs> uh, I love the ad library that you've put up. It's fantastic for researchers and I see there are thousands of ads that the different political parties and candidates have been putting out on Facebook. Have we reached a point in political campaigns where the ad spend is probably greater now on social media than it is on billboards and television? That's probably a question for the parties. Um, we're not across the <laughs> ad budget. It probably but, is. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the, 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 the value of the ad um, library, of course, is that, it, I mean, you know, targeted advertising delivers tremendous value for both consumers and for, you know, all advertisers, political parties and, you know, people um, who are running a local cafe because it allows you to, you know, ensure that your message is getting to, you know, the people who matter most. Um, but the value of the ads library is that particularly for an election campaign, um, it, the public can see what the campaigns are running and what the ads are that are on our ser service. And then we can have a democratic debate about um, the way in which this is playing out and which is exactly why it's fantastic to do this um, conversation with you. And it's also great to see, you know, publications like The Guardian using it so that they can also report on the ads and the campaigns that are running. I saw a comment that said that Facebook doesn't delve into the homepages of political parties and doesn't fact check those. You've made a decision not to do that and presumably you're not doing that with advertising either. But what if somebody is misleading through their advertising? Do you pull the ad? Do you let it run? Do you run it with a comment? What do you do? So I think for, in terms of the way ads work on our service, we have um, ad policies which all advertising must comply with and then advertising must also comply with the law. So uh, if there are concerns about ads that are running on our platform, then obviously we work with the Australian Electoral Commission to address those concerns and ensure that they comply with both our policies and the law. But I have to say, I think the issue about truth in advertising and truth in political advertising is probably much bigger than just Facebook. Mm. And what about quality control? You're obviously not doing that because all of those um, United Australia Party ones are getting through. They're appallingly made. Take that as a comment. <laughs> I'll take that as a comment, indeed. <laughs> Um, the Morrison government took a very tough approach on social media platforms just before this election after the Christchurch massacre, uh, which was live streamed on Facebook, uh, saying that it would institute laws, which it's done for abhorrent violent material by threatening social media execs with jail terms, as well as company fines of up to 10% of turnover. Are we going to see more of this and how reasonable is this approach? Um, look, from our perspective, you know, we, uh, we, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure that, you know, violent terrorist material is not in our services and we invest very significant amount of resources into artificial intelligence and machine learning um, to help us more effectively manage our um, the content that is shared on our services. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've, um, our CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, has outlined several areas where we do think that, you know, regulation for online services um, is needed and that we want to work with governments on those. And some of that relates to election integrity and political advertising. Some of it relates to harmful content. So you know, we're very much sitting at the table ready and willing to work with um, governments on smart and effective regulation that will address quite specific 
specific public policy challenges because at the end of the day, you know, we do share a common goal with our users and um, with the government, which is to ensure that harmful content is not shared online. And just back to the campaign, given that we've got a week to go, geographically, are there hotspots of activity? Can we see that one state or one city is perhaps doing a lot more chatter on social media than other places? Where are we getting most of the activity? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, a lot of the eastern seaboard is where a lot of the uh, conversations are happening. Um, But that, of course, reflects probably more population demographics than interesting insights. What is interesting is to look at the cities with the most election discussions. So it tends to be sort of those secondary capital cities and regional centres. So the, um, the cities with the most election discussions are Brisbane, Adelaide, Newcastle, Hobart and Cairns, which um, really shows you, I guess, that you know all parts of the country are engaged on the platform. But I think it also speaks to the value that our services provide across a country like Australia that is defined by distance which it, you know, it doesn't matter where you live, you're able to participate and engage um, about the topics that matter to you, um, which is one of the great equalising effects of technology. And do the topics vary much between those different geographical centres? So at the moment, we've been looking at the topics on an aggregated basis across the country, and we haven't seen a lot of changes either in the most discussed candidates or the most discussed issues. So Bill Shorten is um, receiving the most mentions on Facebook, but interestingly on Instagram, um, Scott Morrison is getting the most interactions. Um, We have seen lots of conversations around um, environmental policy, foreign policy, um, the economy. Interestingly, uh, we've also seen a lot of conversations around governance, which possibly speaks to a lot of the changes in candidates. Do you keep data on which candidates get trolled the most? Uh, So we do um, removals of all content that um, we become aware of that violates our policies and we certainly, you know, respond to any concerns that MPs uh, and uh, senators have about people who are, you know, harassing them and violating our policies. So Um, on that basis, can you say who is being trolled the most? We don't sort of look into that kind of a data set. I mean, for us, the goal is to ensure that people are having um, a positive experience on our service. And so, you know, we do uh, transparency reports around um, the content removals that we do. So um, we, you know, release data around um, how many accounts we've removed that are fake, for example, um, but we don't necessarily focus in on, like, the subject matter of that. And what about sock puppets? We've seen an instance of that with Angus Taylor, this allegation that uh, he put a comment up about his own um, his own post from another site. Uh, do you know how much sock puppeting is going on? So I think that the, I mean, the focus for us is on whether or not uh, an account is fake or not um, and whether or not the content of the, of the post comply with our policies. Where there's inauthenticity happening at scale, that would fall into our coordinated inauthentic Um, abuse category and we would remove it but uh, you know where there's a a small issue of you know account admins sharing content or friends sharing content um, that uh, you know uh, that doesn't sort of reach that level of coordinated inauthentic activity or a very clearly fake account then that uh, doesn't violate our policy. And there's an argument there's an argument to say that the the market does that for you in the case of Angus Taylor it clearly has it has um 
cried out, cried foul, and um, the world knows in a much more effective way than you just pulling the plug on something. I think I'll take that one as a comment as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mia, we know you're incredibly busy, especially with only eight days left of the campaign. No, it's lovely to chat with you, and um, it'll be exciting to see if and how the conversations change in the lead-up to the election, and um, then we can all share about our democracy sausage on voting day. (laughs) We sure can. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mia. Great. Take care. That was Facebook's Director of Policy for Australia and New Zealand talking about the role of social media in the 2019 election campaign. This has been the Conversations Media Files podcast. I'm Andrea Carson and I was joined by my co-host Andrew Dodd and our producers for today's episode are Margaret Purdom and Andy Hazel. Mm-hmm.